Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 6 today, so if you want to open your Bibles, you can be turning there. John chapter 6, as we continue our series of lessons looking chronologically at the life of Jesus Christ. It's the most influential life that's ever lived, and I am so excited to get to tell you a little bit more about Jesus today. You know, in my opinion, in my experience, there are at least two subjects that will start a conversation with just about anyone. I'm not talking about asking about the weather or how somebody's doing. I'm talking about two subjects that will start people speeding down the conversation superhighway. (laughs) Two subjects which always lead to strong opinions and flared tempers. Do you know what my two subjects are? Politics and religion. Those are the two topics that will start a conversation with anyone. Don't take my word for it. Try it and see. It seems that people are either afraid of one or experts on the other. And we just came out of a very intense political season, to put it mildly. Midterms are around the corner, and it seems like every time you turn on the TV, uh, political issues take the lead in everything. Whether that be the radio or television or anywhere else, there appears to be no end to the contrast between political parties, right? Left, right, pro-con, right, wrong, in essence... Politics has become a tug of war. Images and issues, principles and uh, priorities, careers and constituents are thrown into the lion's den of the political arena every single day. And in the midst of all the confusion that's out there, there is one political certainty. Candidates will go to great lengths to secure your votes. Right? I mean, we've seen this. Now, last I checked, it's still illegal to buy votes in this country. But man, think about the millions upon millions of dollars that are spent by political candidates trying to get you to understand who they are and where they're coming from. Elect me, I'll lower your taxes. Elect me, I'll push education reform. Elect me, and I'll, I'll take care of that special project of yours, that section of town. I'll make sure your section gets special attention. I'll make jobs more available in your community. On and on it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. But there's a carrot, right? That carrot of something for nothing is dangled right there in front of our face. And what happens is we pledge our vote for a promise or we trade our allegiance for trinkets or colorful election buttons. And I don't know about you, but in my opinion, it gets old pretty quick. But this is really nothing new. It's been happening for a long time. Uh, let me tell you when it began for me, this, this idea of something for nothing grabbing our attention. I used to walk with my mom through the grocery store, and when we got to the cereal aisle, back in the day, uh, young folks, that when there was cereal, there was a toy in the bottom of that cereal. And I could care less what the cereal was. I cared about the toy. And so it didn't matter how it tasted. It didn't matter what it was. I just want to get the toy, right? And so there's no end to this this idea, right? We pass over uh, the important stuff just to get to the free stuff. Those little beauties, those little trinkets, they grab our attention and they grab our allegiance. And it seems to me that the society that we live in today would rather hold a four-leaf clover for luck than go out and make something positive happen. 
Oftentimes we give to charities, not because we're really thrilled with the charity, but we like the tax write-off. Uh, we, 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 we know that free, free, man, free draws a crowd. Nothing draws a crowd like free. I remember when I was in high school, a buddy of mine I played basketball with, his name was John White. He could drive, I couldn't, so I always buddied around with him on the weekends. And I remember one day in particular, we got hungry, we had no money. And so we said, well, let's just drive around and find where they're giving out free food. And we hit the mother load. I mean, it was great. There was a furniture store that was giving away free wings. And man, we gorged ourselves on the those free wings, right? Nothing draws a crowd like free. And anywhere you find something for nothing, you can find a crowd not too far behind. And that leads us into John chapter 6. As John 6 opens, we find a crowd uh, that was following Jesus. They're hot on the trail of something for nothing. Uh, they want something free. If you look at what Jesus has been doing, I mean, it's been absolutely incredible. And this crowd followed Jesus from what seemed to be one magic show to the next, right? Blind people were seeing. Lame people were walking. Most importantly, the crowd was being entertained. Last week, someone was even raised from the the dead and they didn't even need a ticket to see it I mean it was incredible let's go see what he's going to do this time they would have followed Jesus anywhere hoping that something else would be done even bigger than what's already been done let's read together John chapter 6 verse 1 after this Jesus went away to the other side of the sea of Galilee which is the sea of Tiberias and a large large crowd was following him why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountains, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, this is important. Now, the Passover of the Jews, if you underline in your Bible, I want you to circle, underline, highlight that word Passover. That's critical for what we're going to talk about today. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, and lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Have you ever asked a question you already knew the answer to? I, I, just, I just did that. Asked a question. All right. Anyway. That's what Jesus is doing here. Where are we going to get money or where are we going to get bread to feed all these people, right? And, and I don't know. I, I don't know why he looks at Philip, but can you imagine what Philip is thinking at this moment? Maybe he reaches into his pockets and he has no money. He has nothing. Nothing that would even come close to covering it. And Andrew isn't sure what difference it would make, but, but he speaks up anyway. In verse 9, he says, God, there's, there, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but, but what are they among so many? And then it says, Jesus says, verse 10, have the people sit down. There, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. So I want you to try to put yourself there in that crowd today. And like what happens when you walk into church, you got the back row. <laughs> Nobody comes to the front row. Everybody rushes to the back, right? So you're in the back of this 5,000 plus uh, uh, congregation that is gathered to witness what's going on. Uh, those hoping to amaze took their seats for the big show, right? Jesus is the center of attention in this outdoor arena. And then what we have happen comes in verse 11. Jesus takes the fish and chips. This is the first instance of that, by the way. He takes the, the loaves, and when he's given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. So picture this. You're in the back. You're scanning the crowds of thousands of people in front of you, and you see the front row being fed with five fish and two loaves. And you're thinking, what is this guy thinking? 
What is he doing? Is he, is he honestly trying to feed this crowd with that small amount of food? I mean, the first two or three might get this meal deal, but nobody else is going to even get a bite. What about the rest of us? But what's amazing is, as, as Jesus went from person to person, they just, they just kept taking food out of his hands. Jesus was using strange ingredients for this meal. He was making fish and bread appear out of thin air. And the crowd is stunned. And as this miracle makes its way up the hillside, bread and fish are everywhere. And people didn't know what to do. And so they, they laughed and they sang and they danced. And oh yeah, they ate and they ate and they ate like we're about to do out here with the Donnie Lane burgers, right? Talk about a free lunch. Now they had seen Jesus do some amazing, wonderful things to individuals but never had Jesus done so much for so many at one time. And so by this point, man, the crowd, their stomachs are full. But they had not had their fill of this rabbi named Jesus. Leave your marker in John 6. I want you to go back with me all the way to the book of Deuteronomy. Can you do that with me? Deuteronomy chapter 18 is where I want to go. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 18 Verse 15, I want you to notice this prophecy that happens all the way back in Deuteronomy 18. Take a look at verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, 15. We're going to read to verse 18. Here's a prophecy of God. The Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses, Moses speaking. The Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. And it is him you shall listen to. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see his great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said, that was right that you have spoken that way. Now look at verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command you. I need you to know that this prophecy is so important, and Jesus is the fulfillment of it. We are told by Moses here in Deuteronomy 18 of a time when God would raise up another prophet like Moses and, and, and God would speak through them. Think about this. What is Moses most known for in the Old Testament? What are the big events that Moses is most known for? Uh, the ones that jump out to me are him having to deal with those grumbling and complaining Israelites all the time, right? As they're walking from, from Egypt to the promised land over and over and over, he's got to deal with those complaining and grumbling Israelites. Not only that, we know that Moses is also famous for miraculously feeding the people with bread from heaven called what? Manna? What else is Moses known for? Walking miraculously through the Red Sea, right? Uh, those are the three big ones to me. Now, of course, there's others. Moses' boldness before God, the Ten Commandments. We could go on and on and on and talk about that. But if you look close at John 6, here's what you're going to see. Jesus miraculously feeding these people, walking on the water, and dealing with grumblers. There is a prophet like Moses that has arisen. And this is what John is trying to get us to see. And, 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 and remember, remember, verse 4, I ask you to underline something, to circle something. What did I ask you to, to circle? That word Passover, right? Look back at John 6, 4. 
The Passover was hand, at hand. They were preparing. They were studying the scriptures that talk all about the exodus from Egypt and their flight into the desert. And now Jesus is in the desert embodying all the scriptures had said. Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy 18. And there can be no doubt about it. This is what John is pointing us to. Jesus was and Jesus is amazing. He's remarkable. And the people, man, they'd never been a part of anything like this. If an opinion poll had been taken that day, Jesus' popularity would have been 99% because somebody didn't like fish. It would have been 99.9%, right? These people began thinking, well, what, what if... What if every day was like this? Uh, what if every day could be like this? No more beggars on the street. A chicken in every pot. Soldiers, if they were to die in battle, he would just raise them from the dead. And then they had a thought. Whoo, a man like this, he should be king. He should be king. Remember, nothing stirs a crowd like politics and religion. You put them together, whoo, you've got a winning combination. Kind of like fish and chips. Bread and fish, right? Winning combination there. And at this point, the crowd has a spontaneous selection, and the vote is unanimous. They decide to volunteer Jesus to be their king. Look at verse 15. Perceiving they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, it seems at some level that these people believe that Jesus is the prophet like Moses, the Messiah. But the problem is they completely miss and refuse to believe what that actually means. And so for the rest of chapter 6, Jesus is going to be trying to get them to understand that their understanding of the work and mission of the Messiah is different from what they're currently thinking. And so Jesus, because of this, leaves the crowd. This is important. He leaves because his kingship is not up for a vote. He leaves the crowd because his kingship's not up for a vote. Around nightfall, the disciples set sail across the lake, no doubt amazed at what Jesus had done. Their stomachs still full from the meal reminded them that Jesus had mastered the impossible. And he was about to remind them again. Look at verse 16. We're going to hit this story today, and we're going to dive deep into this story next week. But take a look, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples got, uh, went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened. That's an understatement. But he said to them, and this is where our English translations completely miss the point. This is where he says to them, it is I, do not be afraid. It doesn't say that. Just, I really wish you would, I don't want you to scratch it out, but I want you to write out to the side what it actually says. Jesus says, do not be afraid, I am. That's what it actually says. And if we think about what's going on here in John chapter 6, that makes a world of difference. Why? What's the significance of Jesus saying, do not be afraid, I am. Remember back to Exodus chapter 3 when, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, right? 
He tells him, take off your sandals because the ground on which you're standing, it's holy. And so Moses does that. And then God commissions him to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And Moses begins to make all these excuses, right? Do you remember what one of them was? Well, I don't even know who to tell him sent me. And he says, here's what you tell him. You tell him I am that I am. You tell him I am has sent you to them, right? This is the name of God, I am. And so did you catch verse 20? The disciples cry out in fear and Jesus says, don't you be afraid. I am. There are going to be times in your life when the wind's going to blow and the sea's going to get rough and you're going to be rowing and rowing and rowing against the storms and getting nowhere. And I want you to know that even in those storms, Jesus is with us and Jesus is for us. And when you are walking through the storm, if you will stop and you will listen, really listen, I believe you will hear the voice of Jesus saying to you just what he said to these disciples. Do not be afraid. I am. And if you're ready to take Jesus on board with you, it may be, it's not a guarantee, but it may be that you will find yourself sooner than you expected through whatever it is the storm you're facing is in the harbor where there's calm and there's security once more. I love this about our God. Do not be afraid. I am. And he whispers that to you if you have ears to hear. So do you? You still trying to go through all that you're going through by yourself? You still trying to man up and get through it? Woman up and get through it? Are you? Stop it. Do not be afraid. I am. Well, as Jesus is stepping off of his boat with his disciples, the crowd is stepping onto theirs on the other side of the lake. You see, their king had gotten away from them, and they were determined not to let that happen again. They wanted their king. Oh, and by the way, it was time for, for breakfast. So they find Jesus on the other side of the lake. And when they finally come to their good luck charm, they ask him a question in verse 25. Rabbi, when did you get here? When did you get here? Jesus doesn't even bother to answer that question, but he does tell the crowd why they came. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. They say, wow, that's great. How do we get this food? What do we have to do to get this food? And Jesus says, listen to verse 29. Oh, powerful statement. Jesus says, believe. This is the work of God that you you believe in him who he has sent. Believe in who I am. Believe that I am the one that God sent to you. Believe that God is working in new amazing faith building things. Ways right here in your very presence through me. Believe. You see the bread and the fish that Jesus had given them the day before. They were given to lead these people heart, soul, mind and strength to the true gift. The true gift of God to his people which wasn't free stuff. It was him. It was Jesus himself. The bread and fish were given to open up their understanding to the fact that a new Passover and a new Exodus was taking place right in front of them. And Jesus, the prophet like Moses, was leading them. Leading them to true freedom. And what comes next just drives me crazy. 
In verse 30, Jesus says, I need you to believe. You want this bread? You want this food? Then you need to believe. And they say, okay, well, give us a sign. Really? Give us a sign? What are you going to do to prove you are who you say you are, right? That's what they say to him. This crowd was asking for a sign that Jesus had already given them. They apparently had forgotten how they gorged themselves on the five loaves and two fish just across the way. And so in verse 32, Jesus reminds them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from, the, from heaven and gives life to the world. So they say, give us this bread. And Jesus says, you're missing the point. And so he's going to get very clear with them. He's going to lay it out as crystally clear as he can. Here's what he says, verse 35. I am... I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have all seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son of God and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him. What was Moses known for? And here the prophet like Moses is dealing again with the grumbling people Jesus says to them, the food that I gave you yesterday is meant to lead you to the true food. The food that God is going to give, that food is Jesus himself. You see, what mattered, what mattered is not what Jesus could do for them. What mattered is who Jesus was and who Jesus is. What matters is not what Jesus did for them or could do for them. What mattered is who he was and who he is. I think there's something else that we can get here. You just can't expect bread on demand from Jesus. And you especially can't expect bread on demand with Jesus if you're not going to follow Jesus who's demanding that you go all in with him. But isn't that what we do sometimes? We want to ring our bell and we want God to answer. People get aggravated. They begin grumbling. Jesus, is, he's going to lay it on. He's going to deliver it. He says, stop your complaining and listen. Verse 47. Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews 
then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And when Jesus finished, you could have heard a pin drop. This was difficult for them to understand. The crowd did not know what Jesus was talking about. But more than that, something else was clear. It was clear that there would be no more free stuff today, no more free food today, that the show was over, and I guess this bread was just a little too hard for them to swallow. And so they turn and they walk away. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't chase after, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, come back, come back, come back, come back, back. I'll give you the bread, just, just, he doesn't do that. He's not about to force feed them the bread of heaven. Okay. What do we get from this today? What's the point for us? The crowd was interested in what Jesus would do for them rather than what they could become in him. And Jesus saw through them. He looked at their hearts. These people looked at Jesus and saw a man who could give them something for nothing. And this crowd would have followed Jesus' breadcrumbs everywhere, but when the free food ended, so did their commitment. When their fancy was no longer being tickled, they were no longer interested. So now we come to it, church. Why are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Sometimes it seems it's only what Jesus can do for us that keeps us loyal to him. So, what about you? Does your faith and commitment boil down to what Jesus can do for you? Does your religious fervor hinge on whether the fish and chips keep coming your way? Are you following Jesus for what you can get out of him rather than for who he is and what you can become in him? Have you looked, have you literally looked Jesus in the face and said, give me a sign. <laughs> you see, signs and trinkets take the place of faith when your love for Jesus depends on your feelings and only your feelings. And what happens is, and I really want you to get this, what happens is we sometimes try to obtain a faith. We sometimes try to obtain a faith that costs us nothing. Only to get a bankrupt religion that's going to cost us everything. Jesus was teaching them that day and us today 
The real prize is not what he can do for you. The real prize is not free bread. No, the real prize, the true gain, the true life is a relationship of oneness that comes with the source of life itself. And Jesus says, if you think the bread of this world is going to fill you up, then you've never even really been hungry. Don't follow Jesus because of what he can do. Follow because of who he is. And because of who he makes us in him. Here's the thing I love about Jesus. He actually thinks we can be like him. The rabbi thinks that you and I can be like him. And that's why he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. This isn't a communion talk. Right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, it's crucial that every single one of us ingest into our very being who he is. The way that he thinks, the way that he acts, the way that he loves. And he thinks we can do that. He thinks we can be like him. Everything about him is what we're trying to become. We're trying to become like him. And that, that's true communion. After, after, Uh, the crowds walk away. Jesus comes to his apostles and he says, all right, you want to go away too? I love, I love Peter's response. He says, verse 68, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. So listen, chase after free stuff. Chase after those trinkets that are being dangled out there by you. And you will die of starvation. But if you will follow the bread of life, if you will ingest him into your very being, you will never be hungry again. And not only that, all of those things that Jesus offers will be yours too. But that's not the reason we follow him. We follow him because of who he is. The bread of life. You hungry? I'm not talking about for Donnie Lane burgers. Are you hungry? Then come to the source of food. Come to Jesus Christ. Come to the bread of life. Find your life in him. Commit yourself to him. And everything else, as Matthew 6, says, will take care of itself. So glad you're here today. If we can pray for you, if we can help you, if you need to give your life to Jesus, if you need to follow him because of who he is, not because of what he offers, man, we stand ready to help you, pray for you, do whatever we need to do uh, to make your calling and election sure with the Father of all. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, Don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.